Hello, and welcome to Risk Chats with a Firm. I'm your host, Paul Marshall. Today, we're talking about ERM standards for the federal government. We have three guests today, and we'll be talking about this project that a firm has put forward. So, very interesting discussion. So, without further ado, why don't we start the show? Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today we're speaking about an Affirm project to set ERM standards for the federal government. And uh, Affirm has put together a group of folks to kind of lead this effort and we're going to talk with them today. So we have Doug Webster, Ken Fletcher, Daniela Datskowska. So why don't we start off and uh, maybe Ken, introduce yourself. Good morning. Hello, uh, Ken Fletcher. I'm glad to be part of the podcast today. Thanks. And Daniela. Good morning, everybody. This is Daniela Datskowska. Very glad certainly to Ken to be a part of this effort and a part of the podcast. And welcoming back to the podcast, Mr. Doug Webster. And uh, likewise, uh, good morning to everybody. And it's a pleasure to be here and, uh, and share some thoughts with you. All right. Well, let's get going. So let's start off with Ken and then everybody else definitely jump in. Um, let's just start off high level. Can you just give us a little bit of uh, background on, you know, what is this ERM standards project? Why did a firm decide to develop some ERM standards? Thanks, Paul. Um, the idea came up at the end of last year as we were finalizing the five-year strategic plan. Uh, and the strategic plan is really broken down into two broad areas, right? Uh, member-focused activities and profession-focused activities. And so as uh, the board was talking about um, what are the specific initiatives that should or could be aligned under those, uh, those broad categories, um, the idea of ERM standards was floated, and I, I think uh, Nicole Peary was the one who actually initially raised the idea. And so the working group was uh, the three of us plus Harold Barnshaw uh, volunteered to be part of the working group, and the initial tasking was take a hard look at this and come back to the board and tell us whether you think this is a project that we should uh, embark upon or whether you think that this is an idea that we should uh, let go by the wayside. So we came back to the board in January and after we took a hard look at it, um, the four of us uh, were in concurrence that developing a set of ERM standards specific to federal government agencies was a good idea, and the board approved that. Um, it, it, and we've been working on this project, I think, since uh, since February, last February. No, this February, I'm sorry, 2021. So is it fair to say, I mean, there really aren't specific standards currently for federal government ERM? Is that one reason you guys are doing this? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a, obviously a, a, a ton of information out there, um, but most of it is applicable to the private sector. And there are some unique differences in public sector uh, design, development, implementation, maturation of an ERM program. It's not, uh, you can't just take what's being done in the private sector and slap an agency header on the top of the program and expect it to be successful. So we thought that there was value in standards that would address, in, in some areas, what those uniquenesses are. 
Got it. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, and we'll go into the next thing here. And again, you know, you guys feel free to raise your hand if you want to jump in here. We're doing a little bit of a Teams call. So these virtual things are always fun to coordinate. Um, but let's go to the next question here. And uh, I thought maybe Daniela would kick us off. Um, so how did you all decide the specific focus areas uh, for these standards? Thank you, Paul. So uh, we deliberated on it for quite a bit. It was a very thoughtful process. Initially, I think uh, we had about 20 areas for consideration. Um, the, this uh, task force uh, met, and we there are two guiding main guiding principles that we've uh, used. Uh, as we went area by area for the 20, is whether or not a subject matter was unique enough for the federal government versus commercial entity, and as such would lend itself nicely into a standard. And another guiding principle was uh, how much value we perceive for the standard to provide to the community by virtue of being included in the standard. And we we hope that we could make that determination because between the four of us, as well as the board, as well as the um, uh, sponsoring organizations that are part of our board, uh, and and reviewed the areas that we recommended, we feel that we have sort of a pulse on the community, on the, you know, we have a hand on the pulse of the community to understand what those most pressing areas of interest might be. So again, to repeat, two main criteria. One is whether or not it's unique enough to, to differentiate between federal and commercial. And second, the value that we perceive it bringing uh, by being a part of the standard. And and we landed on fewer than 20. Um, and uh, we, those will be released in phases. Each year we will release a number of uh, areas within the standard. And yeah, you- so I think the, the working group, uh, you know, the, the long-term plan that we had uh, initially talked about was there would be three volumes, potentially three volumes of, of standards, 21 in total. Um, but this, this initial effort focused on those issues that, that Danielle highlighted. And do you all already know where you want to start? You know, what are you, what do you have on the, on the plan for this year? Yes, absolutely. So we're working on four areas for this year. It's the ERM governance, uh, ERM maturity model and assessment, risk appetite statement, and establishing the context for ERM. And, you know, what is the process that you're planning to use to develop these standards? Is there a specific process the working group is going to follow to develop these? Yeah, so Ken was kind enough to come up with a very detailed project plan that we are uh, faithfully following. Um, The way it works is that each one of us has a section that we're responsible for, or I I should say a subject matter, um, and we develop the initial writing independently and then send out to the rest of the group within the four of us, and we have some time to review and provide comments to the author. Then the author um, 
addresses those and we meet and, and discuss those further. And then we're when we're comfortable with the final draft, then it will go to peer reviews. Uh, and those are representatives of federal age from federal agencies, as well as commercial, I think. No, Ken? Correct. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, because that kind of leads to another question, you know, will there be some kind of a feedback or will this go out to agencies to give feedback or are you kind of just picking a certain group of subject matter experts to get feedback first or? Well, what we did is we solicited volunteers to be part of the peer review panel, both from uh, federal agencies, the interagency working group that uh, Karen Weber at Treasury has been chairing. Uh, as well as the CAG, our uh, uh, sponsorship committee. Um, and we have 11 people mixed between federal agency employees and uh, CAG member firms that have stepped forward and agreed to be part of that review, peer review process. Great. And then, so, you know, most of us are familiar with accounting standards or FASAB or FASB or whatever it may be, you know, what, how do you, what do you envision? How will these standards look? You know, what, what kind of guidance will they contain? You know, do you have a, uh, any ideas for the format or the look and feel of these standards? Yeah. So um, it's going to look familiar to federal agency uh, employees. Uh, it, we were thinking and we, I don't know to, to what extent it's absolutely final, but we were thinking to resemble a little bit of how GAO issues some of it, some of it guidance of standards, where, you know, just the feel and look will be probably similar to that, but we describe the area, for example, governance. Then we describe the substandards, sort of the next level of detail of what comprises that area. And then for each of those, and we call those substandards. And then for each of the substandards, we provide an explanation of why it is important for consideration and why it's in the standard. Uh, we also talk about uh, illustration of how that standard might be achieved with some of the examples and the evidence of what um, you know, what folks would uh, could provide in order to demonstrate the achievement, and then we have a section specifically for small agency consideration, uh, because we've heard some feedback from the community that small agencies would need to understand, given their environment and size and you know scope of their missions. Uh, to what extent the, the, the standard might be flexible and how uh, some of these things might be considered for small agencies in particular. So we took it to heart and we we hope to, to reflect it in the standard specifically for smaller agencies. And and going back again, so this year you do have four planned. Is Are those going to come out all together or just one at a time or what's your what's your schedule looking like? Well, I think what we have in our project plan is the once the board find, uh, grants approval on all four standards, we will release them as a batch uh, around the 15th of October, providing that we stay on task and meet our deadline. Okay. Well, that's, that's – that's, go ahead, Doug. Yeah, Paul, I just want to jump in here. Uh, I think it's, it's also important that the audience uh, – 
not misinterpret some of the comments when we're talking about standard versus standards and so on. Because Daniela uh, accurately said that we have substandards within the standard. Uh, but it would be unfortunate if someone thought we were creating a whole host or score of different standards and so on, because uh, there, there are certainly different sub-elements of what we're calling sub-elements, which are fairly, fairly focused and brief. And the overall standard, we don't expect to be uh, some voluminous, uh, voluminous document. So if people happen to have actually seen and read ISO 31000 versus the COSO ERM standard, the COSO ERM standard is more of a narrative and much uh, longer uh, in text. The ISO standard is much briefer and focused in more of an outline kind of a fashion. And we're, we're tending to go in that, that direction. So this is uh, very easily digestible. You can go to where you need to go to look up a, a particular issue or concern. And if you just want to sit down and read it one night, it's not going to take hours and hours to go through it. It's a, a reasonably brief focused document is at least what our vision is. Right. To be even more specific, so of course we, these are just drafts, they haven't gone through peer review, we may get, you know, many comments and would have to embellish on the, on the content, but the way the drafts look right now from what we are seeing, it's anywhere between 4 and 11 pages. So it, it's really very tactical and hopefully practical type of a standard that, that could be taken in the right context and in addition to some other standards that we were talking about, specifically for federal government. Because we're really talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, the key attributes and uh, principles that are associated with those four topic areas, right? So looking at best practices or good practices ac across government agencies, what are those principles and attributes that should be reflected um, or should be considered as part of a governance structure for risk management or enterprise risk management within an agency or uh, establishing the context. But, but like most things, um, it needs to be, you know, if, if an agency chooses to use the standard and adopt it, it needs to be, there needs to be some evidence-based validation that the standard is being applied. Right. So it's uh, and that's where those examples of how it might be achieved and examples of how that might look and uh, is an important element in the standard. So it's not a subjective opinion that you have a governance structure in an agency that is reflective of good practices across the community. But there's a way that you can go and validate that just like you would if you were doing a maturity assessment on the program. So, uh, Doug, I want to come back to uh, what you had mentioned, the difference between, ISO, you know, this and ISO, COSO, other things out there. Um, and I know we kind of talked a little bit. I mean, obviously, these are focused on government, um, you know, and there's some are longer, some are shorter. But mm -hmm. anything else you'd want to point out as far as how you think these standards might differ from others that are out there? Certainly. Uh, I think there tends to be a lot of confusion in the conversation broadly, uh, across uh, parties, whether private sector or public sector, between risk management and enterprise risk management. Uh, unfortunately, and this is not limited to the federal government, the term enterprise risk management is too often used as a synonym for risk management. And so one of the things we want to do with the standard is really uh, make certain 
that folks understand what enterprise risk management brings to the table and what constitutes good practice in enterprise risk management. So we will be, you know, certainly including, referencing, and so on risk management principles, but we want to make certain that we are talking about that portfolio aspect of managing risk across an organization. And we want to make sure that we identify and, and address those issues that are particularly pertinent to the federal government that may not be as applicable to the private sector. So uh, twofold uh, in terms of guiding criteria in my mind, one is it's enterprise risk management, not just generic risk management. And two, it's gonna help um, if you wanna use the term handholding or, or whatever term you like for, for folks within the federal government that are trying to apply this in their particular instance. And since we are a firm, F is the federal, right? So these standards will be focused on federal, or would it apply to other government levels, state and local at all? I would would argue that, in general, it would apply elsewhere. Now, while we're not at that point yet, there is the possibility of referencing some specific uh, federal guidelines, or, for example, that would not necessarily translate. But in general... Uh, what we're talking about is public sector because we're talking about a set of stakeholders that are not profit oriented. So I would expect this to be very applicable to state and local government as well. Okay. Um, and yeah, let's keep going here, Doug. So I, I wanted to kind of get to the next piece here, which is, you know, obviously you guys are establishing these standards, putting a lot of thought and effort into it. Um, you know, what do you see as the next step once these are out there as far as the agencies, you know, using this sta- these standards? I mean, is this something I'm, I'm guessing a firm would encourage them or do you think there'd be any concerns out there? I think until the intent uh, is better understood broadly across the, uh, the federal government, there may be some uh, concerns. But I believe once we roll out the messaging, I, I think a lot of those, if not all those concerns will dissipate because we are not trying to twist anyone's arm, so to speak, make this mandatory, but we do see a lot of people uh, in our daily work lives uh, in the federal government who are searching for answers. And we believe that having a standard that will speak to them will be very helpful. And so this is, is to me, a way of of contributing to that conversation. And I think the rest of us uh, on this call would agree with that, but I don't think anyone's looking for this to be, become a mandatory item that all all agencies will be audited to or anything else. It's, it's voluntary. And I think it's not even a matter of mandatory versus not, but it's also adding additional complexity. That's not the purpose. The purpose is the opposite, right? To, to provide, um, access to information uh, where you could get an answer, you know, if I need to do an ERM maturity assessment, what is the process at a high level? What are some evidence and examples of me completing it, right? Et cetera, et cetera. It's the same for governance and establishing context. It's, it's really having additional standard, additional guidance or when I have questions that may not be answered by circular A123, COSO, or ISO. Yeah, and I want to dig a little bit more, and, you know, if you guys don't know the answer to this today, that's fine, but uh, I was just curious your opinion, because, um, you know, Doug, you did mention we're not thinking off the bat that necessarily we expect agencies to be, let's say, audited to these standards, but, you know, that is kind of what happens with FaceApp and some of these others. Um, 
do you have folks maybe in the review process from like OMB, GAO, or IG community perhaps that can weigh in on things like that? Or have you guys thought about that? Well, let me defer to Ken on that because I think Ken has had some conversations. So, Yeah, so I mean, part of the reason that we're doing this podcast is to take the mystery, make the process much the project much more transparent than it had been because it seems uh, what we were hearing anecdotally was based on rumors of what we were doing not the reality of what we were doing so uh, in that vein we have had a conversation with OMB to make them aware of what we're doing um, and the approach that we're taking and the value that we believe that these standards will provide to the federal ERM community um, once we're finished and, and they're published. Uh, and based on that conversation, we have, uh, uh, we I asked OMB the question as to whether they thought we should have a similar conversation with the, uh, the SIGI community, the uh, IG community, as well as the GAO audit community. Uh, and and they thought that that was also important to make sure that the right information was getting out and that we that the, the, those audit functions understood the intended purpose of the document, which is not a compliance document. It is to provide guidance on what are those key attributes and principles if you're dealing in this area that you should be really mindful for about as you're moving forward to develop your risk appetite statement or do your first uh, ER and maturity assessment or reestablishing the context now that we have had a, a you know a change in government and a change in you know uh, leadership within the uh, within the congress and so that's the focus so we probably will have a conversation with someone from Sydney and someone from GAO um, but this, our intent is not to, this is not an official government standard. This is in a, in a, in a firm set of standards based on our perspective, uh, as an authoritative voice in the community, um, on pr key principles and attributes that should be taken into consideration. And I think you answered it before. I just want to clarify again, but so I understand, you know, you guys, do the first drafts, you have your peer reviews on top of that with experts in the field. Um, again, do you plan to then share it with the federal community to get to also get feedback? Uh, again, kind of like FaceApp and some of these folks do. Is, is that something or is that something you would think of maybe a further evolution in the future? So at this point, I, I don't believe that there is any intent um, and uh, certainly none expressed by the board that we take a traditional notice and comments approach to the standards and getting them out there and asking anyone in the federal government that has uh, has a an idea to provide a response to that. Uh, it, it, you know, we believe that the perspective that we will get from our expertise on the working group, our perspectives as either current or former government uh, enterprise risk management professionals, or, and now some of us in the private sector um, supporting government agencies 
plus the cross-functional perspective that we get through the peer review process, that that's going to give us the, the right level of feedback to make the standards meaningful to, throughout the community without having to take that notice and comment approach. I also think that the peer review group is a representative sample of, of both the federal community and, and the industry. So to that extent, I think we would get, you know, the 80-20 rule. We would, we would probably get uh, the majority of comments that we would anticipate receive otherwise if we provide it to the entire community. But it would allow us to uh, provide the standard much quicker probably than otherwise possible. Right, makes sense to me. Um, so, uh, so let's say again. So now, let's say you've you've put the four standards out. You've kind of finalized them. Um, you know, does a firm plan to maybe conduct training on the standards or uh, anything like that? Well, this, I, I, this is Doug, and I. We have not got to the point yet of making a formal decision on any kind of training program we do, but there have been some discussions. I believe there would be value in that. I think a firm uh, would probably be as well positioned in terms of expertise as anyone to deliver that. But what that looks like, when it happens, who delivers it specifically, all that remains to be uh, discussed. And uh, I just had a couple more random follow-up questions for you. Sorry. But um, now you mentioned the four this year, and I think, Ken, you said the goal is around 2021 total standards in the next few years. Um are you guys sharing that full list or is that out there anywhere or do you plan to kind of put your plan on the website or something like that? So we've shared the full list, the, the proposed full list with the board um, and then identified to the board the, the four that we wanted to focus on during this current effort um, through the middle of October. We have not either as our working group or with the board has had a discussion about what are the next set of standards that that will be uh, uh, that will you know be considered for development after we finish this first uh, push, or or when we might come back to that full list of twenty one. We may we may decide that there is sufficient information and guidance out there on many of those topics that we're not really adding much value to the community by putting out a standard on how to, you know, how to analyze and assess an individual risk. You know, there's a lot of guidance out there that, that tells folks that, you know, what that should look like and how that should be done. So that, you know, that full list of 21 is not necessarily the end product. It's certainly not the end product that we're, um, we're marching towards right now. Um, and we're going to have to figure out what that next set is. And and then the board is going to have to make the decision, do they want this to move forward into areas that perhaps there is not such a unique difference between public and private sector applications? To maybe just to add to what Ken said. So remember how I said that we had 20 or 21, Ken says, I may be forgetting one total list, right? And then as our uh, task group went through the 21, we zeroed in on nine 
that follow those two principles that I talked about, you know, being relevant to the federal community and adding value. And so those are the nine. And then we can, based on what Ken just said, we may expand on them or even, even further uh, down because we may determine that on some of those additional five, uh, in addition to the four that we are working on right now, there is enough guidance already. Um, one that comes to mind, let's say cyber, right? Uh, there is a lot on cyber. We may decide to do that or we may not, right? So things like that. But but as Ken said, it's yet to be determined. Another one. And, and I would to 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 reemphasize also something that was pre previously said, but I would like to make sure the audience doesn't walk away with a, a incorrect understanding. When we talk about 21 standards, ISO 31000 is one standard. So if somebody's ever looked at that and say, okay, that's, I don't remember how many pages, 18, 20 pages, whatever the number is, we're going to have 21 times that? No. We're, what we're calling a standard is the small, much smaller elements that we're working on right now, uh, such as governance. And we're going to have 21 elements of that. But when you add those all up, it's going to be much more similar to what people think of as a standard. So uh, we don't want the terminology to get people thinking that we're talking about volumes and volumes of requirements when that's not the intent. And, and language is important, right? And, you know, part of the discussion that we had very early on before we even went back to the board and recommended that we move forward was what's the process by which we want to release them? So there's really two approaches we, we could have recommended. One, do all of the work and publish whatever we decided were important as a single standard in one shot that would take probably a couple of years to get to that point as an all-volunteer organization or release them in a more iterative fashion and we thought the value to the community was best uh, delivered through that iterative release of information rather than waiting for the ISO 31000 type complete document to be finished and then published. Makes sense to me. So we're getting close here to the end. I just thought I'd give a opportunity for each of you just to give a final thought or even, or just say goodbye either way. But um, maybe uh, can any like major takeaway you just want, you would, you'd want folks to, to go away from this uh, discussion with. So, so the biggest concern that we, we have heard um, both directly and anecdotally from the community is, is that the GAO and the IG communities will take the standards and use them as a compliance requirement. And we are mindful of that concern, and that is not the intent of the standard. And part of our you know, outreach to OMB and probably GAO and, and SIGI is going to be to make sure that they understand that this is not a compliance requirement. This isn't a checklist that you must do. We're not telling agencies how to do it or how they, uh, you know, the approach that they should take. We're focusing on the key principles and attributes that should be considered as you're moving forward in those areas. And uh, Doug, any final words for us or any uh, takeaways from your side? I, I would agree with what Ken just said. I believe that uh, SIGI and, and the GAO already have materials 
out there to use as as de facto standards if they chose to use those. So having something from a firm is not going to change that equation. They're either going to choose to do so or not. But if we come on to the scene with something, it's not going to make a difference. I don't expect that they will. As Kenneth said, we're urging that they do not. At the same time, I do believe that there's enough need for some guidance for some agencies who are, are really just getting started in enterprise risk management, trying to interpret exactly what that means. This will be a great facilitator to help those agencies move in the right direction in a meaningful fashion. So I, I, I believe this is a very positive effort. And I think if we get OMB and GAO on board with that mindset, it will all be winners. Definitely, yeah, and I think we definitely agree that this is something we could all use in the federal government, some some great guidance and standards like this. So I think it's all positive either way. Um, and with that, Daniela, how about you uh, give us the final send-off here? So to continue the theme about, you know, this being sort of the impetus for even more compliance and reviews, my personal opinion on audits in general is that I'd rather be prepared. And I would view the standard as yet another tool to get better prepared, uh, that is very specific to the government. Also, some theme that Doug uh, began, and all of us chimed in, about this not being voluminous. It's not about volume. We are really hoping to give some golden nuggets, right, to, to for, for the federal government to have one place to go to to understand on these select topics what to do. Right, and how Ken said it, it's a what, it's not a how. Uh, there is enough flexibility in the how aspect of it for small agencies, large agencies to decide on how they're going to implement it. Uh, and of course, a firm will always be there to answer any questions and uh, and hold your hand. And then we have uh, uh, many opportunities for people volunteer and learn, and and we welcome you to the community. Uh, if you feel so inclined. Opportunities for us to come back for another podcast, Paul. Yes. (laughs) Absolutely. You know, and I know a firm is going to be very appreciative of this is the kind of thing that, you know, we're looking for from a firm leadership like this. So with that, thank you uh, all three of you for joining us today. We're going to, we're definitely looking forward to seeing those standards in the next few months. And uh, this is a great effort. So thanks everybody for joining us today. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. That's our show. Thanks for tuning in. Check out all our podcasts at affirm.org, the podcast page. And we're looking forward to uh, many more podcasts here. As always, if you have any suggestions, send us an email. We'll look for great topics and great speakers. So until next time, this is your host, Paul Marshall, signing off for Risk Chats with a Firm.